Welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast with Ruth Haley Barton. In this season of the podcast, Ruth invites leaders with diverse callings and expertise to dialogue and explore how spiritual transformation intersects with some of the most significant topics of our time. Well, we're back um, with the second episode of this Ruth and Friends season of the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, where I'm having the blessed opportunity to speak to some of my friends, my colleagues, people that I think have significant thoughts to share about the journey of spiritual transformation, and for us to be able to have a conversation about different aspects of what it means to be on this journey of being transformed into the image of Christ. And today I'm talking once again with my friend Ron Rollheiser, Catholic priest, president of the Oblate School of Theology in Texas, a very prolific author and speaker, and someone who I consider to be a friend and a colleague. Welcome again, Ron. So glad to have another conversation with you. Thank you, Ruth. I'm looking forward to the conversation here. So we're discussing Ron's book, Sacred Fire, A Vision for a Deeper Humanity and Christian Maturity, in which he describes the three struggles of the spiritual life or three seasons in our life as disciples. And we've already had our first episode together, but Ron, would you give us the overview once again of the three struggles um, before we dive deeper into the second one? Yes, Ruth, very happily. In, in my view of things, as I've said the first when we talked last time, based really on the writings of people like John of the Cross and so on, but also in anthropology, I see three great seasons to our life, which are seasons of discipleship, but also seasons of our humanity. So first of all, is the first season is the struggle to get our lives together. And then it's the struggle to give our lives away. And then ultimately what I call radical discipleship, the struggle to give our deaths away. So we talked last time at, at length about the struggle to get our lives together and, uh, and now let's welcome a conversation on just the struggle to give our lives away. Yes. So tell us a little bit about this part. I know you talk about um, this as being a time of generativity and that there are struggles within this time, psychologically, anthropologically, biblically. Uh, you talk in all those on all those levels. Would you tell us a little bit about this struggle to give our lives away, which you say is the longest season for all of us? Yeah. Hey, first of all, I, I always like to start, Ruth, with... Uh, with Jesus, you know. Good. Now, That's a great place to start. I'm with you. <laughs> in, in, in Scripture, we see that's Jesus' act of life. Mm -hmm. See, so that Jesus, before, you know, in crucifixion, death, he has these three and a half years of activity where he's healing, preaching, teaching. See, that is his generativity. That is where Jesus is giving his life away. We'll see later on when we do talk about death. Jesus also gave his death for us, but he gave his life for us. Now, um, to put that into our terms. <clears throat> Usually this season of life, Ruth, begins, um, it, it, there's, there's sometimes not a clear, you know, it's on this day and so on, but it's, it's at right the, the time when somebody gets married, you start having kids, you start your career, you start a family, you start paying a mortgage. Uh, see, that's the beginning of this phase, which often, for most people, I imagine, begins in their 20s. Today, sometimes because of education demands and our society, it starts in their 30s, you know, and that's going to take us right to retirement. Mm -hmm. So this is the, the biggest part of life. Um, but I want to distinguish later on between two phases of that, what I call early generativity and late generativity, which incidentally, I don't do strongly in the book. Since I've written mm -hmm. the book I've, um, and started to work on the third season of life, 
I've, I've divided the season into, into two parts, mm. like early generativity and then later generativity, kind oh, of a new generativity, yeah. and so on. Um, I know, do you want me to talk just about, about yeah, early generativity? Yeah, I would love to hear more about that since it's new. Okay. Um, no, this part is new. It's going to be the late generativity. That's the yes. And, and you'll see the reason why mm -hmm. when I get But early generativity, we understand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Understand right. Mm -hmm. that, you know, you at a certain point, you get married, you have a career, you start, uh, you, you have a vocation, you start raising kids, you start paying a mortgage. Um, and then all of those things, they bespeak of giving your life away. You know, when you were young and single and so on, was precisely you're struggling to find yourself, to get yourself back home again. Certain point, let's just take that as a paradigm. A couple gets married, okay, and then they 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 uh, they both have jobs and they and they have to pay a mortgage, and then they start having kids and they start getting involved in the community. They start getting involved in their church life. They start getting involved with their kids and so on. Um, that's what it means to give your life away. That's not, it's not an abstract thing at all, you know? Um, and also during those years, as I'm sure you can vouch, uh, there isn't a lot of, there aren't a lot of meaning questions. Like, who am I? Mm -hmm. What do I know? I mean, you're trying to get through days. Yes. You're trying to get the kids someplace. You're trying to pay a mortgage. You, it's, you're, you're um, uh, so much of your life is dictated to you, you know? So you can go through 20 or 30 years of your life where your biggest problem is simply getting it done. Yes. You know, I've had mothers say to me, you know, who raised two or three young kids, they said, when they were all home, said, there were years I couldn't go to the bathroom. Right, right. Some kid mm -hmm. is scratching on the mm -hmm. door, mommy, mommy, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, or people going to work, and we'll call the rat race, you get up in the morning at six o'clock and your alarm goes off and so on. And you're, um, those are really busy years. Um, and they aren't years where, for instance, we can often come to, not years where we're very prayerful. Right, <laughs> yes, yeah. And it becomes your prayer mm -hmm. and so on. Um, but, but notice those are generative years. You, you, you are doing, you're carrying it. You know, right. in, in anthropology, they have an expression, that they talk about carrying life or being carried. You know, young kids get carried. Yes. Are, but they also get carried. You pay their bills, you educate them. But you're the one doing the carrying. Right, right. You're paying the bills. You're raising the kids. Yourself as a as a you're running a church. You're doing this. You know that's high generativity. Right. And and um, and during those years, your 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 biggest problems, spiritual problems, are busyness, pressure. You know, finances, insecurity. You know, uh, so you're you're not thinking so much about you know what does my life mean? What should I be doing? Right. That's th those are your, your generative years. And I'm sure we have many listeners who are saying, how do I get through those years and still feel like I'm in touch with some sort of spirituality? So I, I really appreciate your emphasis on that happening in the context of your li the life you're being given. You know, and can I say something? Yes. That is spirituality. Yes. You know, you know I'm going to give you an example of this. I don't know if it's in the book, but, you know, Carlo Corretto, the great spiritual writer, uh, he was a monk and a hermit, and he lived for 24 years by himself in the Sahara Desert, meditating, mm -hmm. writing spiritual books, you know, turning scripture, uh, med uh, translating scripture into the Bedouin language. And he came home to visit his mother, who had raised seven kids, mm -hmm. 
I never had time to go to the bathroom for some years. My mother was more spiritual, more contemplative than I was. He said, yeah. not because the desert was wrong. He said, because what she was doing is really right. Mm-hmm. You know, those are years where you, as I said um, in, the, in the last interview, those are years where you become unselfish by conscription. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you're forced so much to attend to everybody else's needs that after a while you get good at it. Right. <laughs> yes. Amen. Amen. After a while, you're mm. no longer selfish. And that is your spiritual life. Yeah. That is your prayer during those years. Right. Right. Um, well, I was really riveted in your book, Sacred Fire, by the ways that you described knowing that you're, you know, moving into this period of time. And you, you, you mentioned it as midlife. But prior to midlife, the life force is so strong in us that we can more easily live with our wounds, even the very deep ones. However, sometime in midlife, often during our 30s, our wounds begin to break through and create a certain drama inside of us, namely an awareness of the depth of our own wounds and a concomitant sense of how those wounds took their origin in incidents of unfairness, cruelty, and abuse that we suffered, and how now we have little or no recourse to deal with that unfairness. And so it is easy at this point in life for bitterness and anger to begin to color our lives. This is something we do not talk about. We do not talk about the fact that at midlife we are getting in touch. But as you wrote that, I realized that's really true. That is really true, that you could almost skate along and pretend it wasn't there for a while in your youth. But then in midlife, you start to get in touch. And I think that's such an important point. We can't cover it over so easily anymore. And it seems like that does create a crossroad of sorts whether or not we are going to continue to walk the path of bitterness and resentment and frustration, or whether or not we're going to enter into true generativity. Would you talk about that? What I, I experienced that as a fork in the road, actually. Yeah. Well, I'll start at the, at the beginning. See, when we're younger, and, and, and most of our deep wounds come when we're young, mm-hmm. but we carry them, because as I said, our eros is so strong. Mm-hmm. You know, Freud, Freud said, prior to the age 35, you're pre-neurotic. I love that expression. You know, like, see, it, neurosis, you said, is the disease of the normal person. We kind of stew in our own juices. Mm-hmm. And prior to 35, you know, it, it's so, our, our, our pulse for life, our dreams are so strong that we blot that out. After 35, we're not protected. And I will say, that's when you realize your mother did love your sister better than you. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to deal with it, right? <laughs> you realize you've been had and you have to appreciate it. No, see, prior to that, it, it, it does. See, and that sparks a number of things. Mm-hmm. Midlife crisis. Yeah. Psychologically, oftentimes people, um, if they aren't well grounded, they can lose their bearings. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, but for most normal people, you know what happens? We start growing more angry and more resentful mm-hmm. and more bitter. And, you know, you see it so wonderfully, Ruth, in, in, in Scripture, in the, the prodigal son of the older brother. Notice the older mm-hmm. brother. He hasn't made a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. but he's just as effectively outside the father's house. He's out by anger and he's right. resents all yes. this and so on. Um, and, and I say this in the book, and I want to even say it stronger in my next book, that the biggest spiritual hurdle as we basically go to midlife and grow older is, is anger. You know, uh, it's the last great demon in our lives. Right. Uh, you know, and, and so many of us end up a little bit like the older brother, the prodigal son. You know? And these are real hurts. And, uh, and and that's why it's not easy to, to age into mellowness. It's much easier to age into bitterness. 
Right. And in fact, it seems like we coddle it, that we actually sort of nurture the angers we have, coddle it along, fuel it, and use it as an excuse to not live in the world in a generative or fruitful way. And sometimes we even withdraw. We actually hide our talents. We refuse to even participate anymore. Or, or also, another thing we do with Ruth is we put it under some kind of canopy. So, yes, I'm, we I'm, spiritualize you know, it. Yes. You know, or, or, you know, for instance, in, 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 in Roman Catholicism, I'm sure you have it in your churches too, where somebody becomes bitterly fundamentalistic and they're really angry to defend Jesus, you know? You know, that, that, you know, so, so scared that you may be a heretic and so on, and they got to defend the truth and so on. Well, that's just anger. That's just anger. Or people do it politically and so on. It's just they're, they're, they're smoking anger. And, uh, uh, you know, dare I say this, you look at our political situation, just the anger on all sides. People can't be able with each other. You know, part, part it is our political situation. Partly, we're all dealing with a lot of anger. Right, right. Well, I just found even the, the description of what happens to a person in this stage to be so helpful. Because if you know that that's the temptation, and you know that it's probably going to happen if you just let it happen, it actually gives you a choice immediately. It actually opens up a real choice. Can you talk to us about that choice? First of all, you need to, and as churches and as ministers and stuff, we, we need to be challenging people with that to, to say like, at a certain point, the choice now is between anger and non-anger. The choice now is between bitterness or gratitude. Um, you know, uh, I love this expression. I'm not sure if a lot of your listeners anymore remember who Morris West was, this great novelist from Australia, you know. But but he was a great novelist who died, but his autobiography, which he published on his 75th birthday, um, and these are the first words in his autobiography. He said, when you get to be 75, there should only be three phrases left in your vocabulary. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. He said, and if those aren't your first words, you still have a lot of inner work to do. I believe that, you know, it's, I think we have to challenge people, say, look, um, the task of aging is the task of growing more mellow in the spirit. And if, if we're growing more angry in our spirit, it's not good. Yeah, so in this part of the spiritual life, you talk about the resentment of Martha. I think Mary and Martha are such controversial figures, yeah. and their lives and their very selves get so misinterpreted. What is the Ron Rollheiser take on Mary and Martha? We need to redeem them, don't you think? Right. Um, well, see, they're, they're types, you know, so that so, so Mary is the contemplative type and so on. But I think during our generative years, that's why I, I call what we're struggling with, we're struggling with the resentment of Martha which means if you are a normal, healthy person, I'm going to give you permission to feel this, at a certain point, you're going to feel like it's unfair. You're doing the work. Uh, you know, everything's dumped on you. Everybody else is getting a break except you, your sister, whom your mother did love better than you. <laughs> She's sitting and so on. She's conveniently in Alaska. Why do you have to take care of your mother here and so on? Um, you know, Henry now, when you say if you're a sensitive person, What's going to happen is um, you, 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 it's going to fall on you. It's always going to look like like it's unfair to you, precisely because you're sensitive. You're responding to it, but then it's very natural to feel this resentment. My sister isn't doing anything, you know. Um, you know, kind of a classical example I use. Imagine your mother's in a senior's home, 
and needs some attention, you know, you're the dutiful daughter and you happen to be living close by, your sister's living in Alaska. Okay, you're Martha, she's Mary. She can come home once a year and her mother, your mother fusses over her and they cry and your mother's talking about the weather and she's cranking her days and so on. Well, how can you not feel like Martha, you know? Um, you know, John of the Cross, who's one of my mentors, John of the Cross says, you know what, what your struggles are gonna be during these years when you're so busy? He said, your struggles are gonna be, first of all, in prayer, he said, your struggles gonna be a lot with boredom. You know, prayer is gonna be boring. Church stuff is gonna be boring to you, you know? Uh, and also you're gonna struggle with resentment and you're gonna struggle with, you know, uh, feeling sorry for yourself. Now, by saying that he's giving you permission, he's saying, um, now we have to deal with it, but but we shouldn't be so upset that sometimes you wanna put your fist through glass and hit somebody, you know? Um, and that doesn't go against love. Remember a, a man at a, at, a, at a wedding banquet with their 60th anniversary and he's speaking and he says, you know, Somebody still asked if you ever thought of divorce during 60 years. He said, divorce? No. He said, murder? Yes. <laughs> okay. So anger, anger is a big one. Anger and resentment is a very big one. And again, he said it, you know, our churches, we don't talk enough about that. Or, or even like jealousy. You know, did you notice there's two commandments against jealousy? The only one that we get, it's double. And we never talk about it in our churches. You know, it, we're, we're, we're jealous, you know. This is happening. Good things are happening in other people's lives and we're stuck where we're at. You know? Yes. When I was their age, I would look at 50 and 60 year olds and think that they had it all together because you could pull it all together on the outside. And yeah. it seemed like they did have it all together. But now that I'm there, I know that I don't have it all together. So I found it really helpful that you just named it the way you did, because then you know what you're dealing with and you know what your choices are. And you don't feel so awful when you experience this. Right, right. You know, but you also know that you have a choice that you need to make, or you will just shrivel up and become an angry person who hurts people. Yeah. You know, now now this is your spiritual task. Yes, exactly. No. So I think that, that uh, what we've just been talking about is one of the religious faults of mature adults. Are there others that you name or that you help us to, to think about? What are some of the other uh, religious faults of people in this particular season, the mature phase? You know, I, I, I talk about uh, to two others. One of them is that th there can be a certain joylessness. And, you know, that, uh, but let me explain what I mean by that. See, when you're doing all this stuff, say you're the young mother, you know, but you know, your days are packed and there's always too much to do and the mortgage isn't paid and everybody's on your case and so on. Um, you don't realize that these are the very best years of your life. When you look back later, when you're sitting in the wheelchair, seniors, that was the best time of my life. And at the time, oftentimes, you're just mowing it down. You're getting through it and so on. And instead of having this gratitude, see, I always say, you know when you're going to appreciate your, 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 those years? When they're over, when you're in the seniors' home, and you're eating jello. <laughs> okay. Then you're gonna say, God, that you know, it wasn't mine, but those were the best years of my life. You know? See, so that there's and you know, you read so many books, you know. I remember Irma Bomb that wrote that if I could live my life over again, you you know, the next time I would enjoy it. See, the real danger is you can go through some really generative, beautiful years of your life and never enjoy it. Because of the work, the pressure, the tiredness, and so on, um, 
joylessness and, you know, kind of lack of gratitude and so on. But the other one I want to talk about, Ruth, is um, busyness as an escape. You know, it's interesting. I always say busyness begins as a virtue and it ends up as vice. See, first of all, when, when, when you're first, you're a pressure, the young mother, you don't have time and so on. The guy's working on his job. Beginning, that's a virtue. But after a while, you also realize, I don't have to talk about the deep things. I don't have to, you know, uh, you know, I so, know so many men say, you know, what, what the last thing a man wants to hear from his wife during this year is, we need to talk. Because <laughs> you know what that's going to be about. You're not home. The kids are growing. But see, for both the man and the woman, busyness, the, these are very busy years. They're pressured years. And that, that begins as a virtue. But invariably, it ends as a vice where, you know, I mean, not just talking to each other, but we don't have to face serious things. We don't have to do a lot of inner work. We're too busy. So, Ron, tell us now what the invitations are. What are the special invitations of this part of our discipleship? We've talked about the downfalls and the difficulties and the struggles, but what are the special invitations of this season where we are struggling to give our lives away? Well, I think here, remember, I said that this is maybe the most anthropologically clear season mm -hmm. where it seems it isn't spiritual. The, the invitation is to, you know, start, you know, giving your life away in ways that, first of all, bring joy to you, you know, so that, you know, you're a mother, you're a father, you're a career, you're a minister and so on, that you uh, you start enjoying your life uh even as you're giving it away, this is meant to be a very, jo very joyful time of your mm -hmm. life. Um, you know, remember this great scene in um, um, that, that movie Chariots of Fire, where, where, where the, he says, when I run, mm -hmm. God takes yeah. pleasure in it, you know. And it's true. When, 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 you, when you are a young mother, you're a young father, and you're a young minister and so on, and you're doing all this stuff, and all this, God is taking pleasure mm -hmm. in it. Yeah. Temptation is we aren't, mm -hmm. you know, yes. to, to see your, your life kind of in a joyful way under under God, that God is taking pleasure in your teaching, Ruth. God is mm -hmm. taking pleasure in, in, in the ministry you're doing. God is taking pleasure on you when you're mothering your kids and so on. Um, and see, so that, that, that I think yeah, is the Yeah, the practice real. of taking pleasure in your own life as God's given it to you. That's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, th I think that's the great challenge. Because you're going to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. Henry now says, sensitive people do the right thing. Some do it with resentment and others do it with joy. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And and that's a part of Martha's experience is she could have served, but done it without so much distraction and resentment, and then all would have been well. But she couldn't make that inner choice. She should have taken known that God was taking pleasure in her. Yes, and just given herself to that moment. Yeah. And it, it strikes me that then another practice that relates really clearly to this first one, taking pleasure in your life, is to choose gratitude, to yeah. ruthlessly almost choose gratitude over bitterness and anger. So so ruthlessly, in fact, Ruth, that if, it, if it's a problem at that place, the point people should take counseling, you know. Mm -hmm. We just sense ourselves. I'm all angry all the time, um, you know, and, and, and we're growing in that direction. We, we need spiritual direction. We need counseling. We we need uh, we need help to deal with that, uh, because that that is really the, the spiritual task of life. Then, and see, it's the anger, Ruth, that takes you away from the gratitude. Yes. If, yes. if I'm resentful because my sister's in Alaska and I got to take care of my mom, mm -hmm. uh, 
I'm not going to take pleasure in taking care of my mom. Yes, and the sacred journey that that actually really is. Well, you know, we're we're in Lent right now, and we don't often think about gratitude as being a Lenten practice. But I think especially if we fast from anger, like I could see fasting from anger and bitterness, like just absolutely refusing that in the six weeks of Lent and right. ruthlessly choosing gratitude in its place. That could be a fantastic Lenten discipline for us. You know, I once heard Ruth, a very ex- a wonderful expression on there where this, said, uh, this guy said, you know what you should do for Lent? Said, practice, the, practice the asceticism of joy. Mm-hmm. The asceticism. Joy is an asceticism. Mm-hmm. You have to work at it. You know, it, it's one of the harder practices to do. Yeah. It's easy just to be angry, to fall in resentment. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Well, we might become people's favorite Lenten podcast if we keep talking about joy like this and gratitude. Um, well, so we have our practices. We're going to take pleasure in our lives as God's given it to us. Um, if we're in this generative phase, we're also going to ruthlessly choose gratitude rather than bitterness or anger. And so now I'd like to end with a prayer, and it's in my file of some of your teachings, Ron, so it could it be you who gave me this prayer, this 17th century nun's prayer. Have you heard of that one? Yes. All yes, right. Yes. Is it okay for me to read that as our prayer? And, Great um, prayer. Yeah, we'll, we'll just hold this openly before the Lord and hold ourselves before the Lord um, in this season. So let's take a moment to be quiet, to breathe, to settle into that central place within us where God dwells. And perhaps this prayer can express something of the truth that's in our hearts today. Lord, you know better than I know myself that I'm growing older and will someday be old. Keep me from the fatal habit of thinking I must say something on every subject and on every occasion. Release me from craving to straighten out everybody's affairs. Make me thoughtful, but not moody. Helpful, but not bossy. With my vast store of wisdom, it seems a pity not to use it all, but you know, Lord, that I want a few friends at the end. Keep my mind free from the recital of endless details. Give me wings to get to the point. Seal my lips on my aches and pains. They are increasing, and love of rehearsing them is becoming sweeter as the years go by. I dare not ask for grace enough to enjoy the tales of others' pains, but help me to endure them with patience. I dare not ask for improved memory, but for a growing humility and a lessening cocksureness when my memory seems to clash with the memories of others. Teach me the glorious lesson that occasionally I may be mistaken. Keep me reasonably sweet. I do not want to be a saint. Some of them are so hard to live with, but a sour old person is one of the crowning works of the devil. Give me the ability to see good things in unexpected places and talents in unexpected people. And give me, O Lord, the grace to tell them so. Amen. On behalf of Ruth and the entire Transforming Center staff, thank you so much for listening. We're currently accepting applications for our next Transforming Community Spiritual Formation Experience for Christian Leaders. You can learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org slash TC. This podcast is a ministry of the Transforming Center 
and is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. If you've enjoyed Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast, please leave us a review and rate us on iTunes or wherever you listen. You can also become a partner of the podcast and get exclusive benefits by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. During Lent, all new patrons will receive a digital version of Ruth's popular resource, Lent, A Season of Returning, which includes a guided reflection for each week of Lent so that you can experience Lent as a season of transformation. Again, learn more by visiting transformingcenter.org slash patron. Thanks so much for your support and for listening to Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership.